Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, Federal has come out with a new turkey load called the Heavyweight TSS or the Heavyweight Tungsten Super Shot. Now, this is a tungsten alloy material and it's 18 grams per cubic centimeter density now what this means is it is it's 22 percent higher than standard tungsten and 56 percent higher than lead so it is a a very dense material and it has the ability to travel at high velocities and continue that velocity at longer distances it has deadly patterning and it also has something called flight control flex and that is when that rear braking wad performs flawlessly through ported and standard turkey chokes so if you want to find out more information about the heavyweight tungsten super shot visit federalpremium.com and while you're there don't forget to check out their podcast and their blogs tons of great content my name is clay newcomb and i'm the host of the bear hunting magazine podcast I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. We've never done a podcast like this, but we've titled it Dueling Stories. I'm joined by my good buddy, Brent Reeves, and we go back and forth with stories, disconnected stories, whatever kind of stories, fun stories. We talk a little bit about the history of oral storytelling and its influence on the hunting culture from long, long ago, but we just, tell, we just have some fun and tell some of our 
favorite stories. Brent's a good storyteller, and he's grown up around some great storytellers. And we just go back and forth, back and forth. Very fun podcast with Brent Reeves in this dueling podcast episode. Be sure to check out W Hunting Supply for all your hound supply needs, all your Garmin needs, and for anything that has to do with hounds, dogs, hunting. Also, Northwoods Bear Products. If you're baiting bears this spring, you're going to be baiting bears this fall. This is your go-to commercial sense. It doesn't even make sense to bait bears without commercial sense. To this day, I shake my head at some of my friends who bait bears and start up baits and don't use commercial sense. It just makes sense. And lastly, our buddies at the Western Bear Foundation. Check them out. They're a membership-driven conservation organization designed to give a voice for bear hunters in the West. Good guys. And if you get their membership, you get a subscription to Bear Hunting Magazine. Check them out at westernbearfoundation.net. Dude, why'd you shave your beard? Well, I I didn't shave the whole beard. I left the left the top. That's called a mustache. Well, it was a gobble to gobble beard, Brent. You look like a woman on the East German shot put team. <laughs> <laughs> Man, listen. My whole life I have wanted to grow a beard for an entire year. Twelve months. Three hundred sixty five yeah. days. Uh, right. Um, so I, I, last turkey season, I'd actually been growing the beard before that. So like March and then a turkey hunted and I felt like I needed a goal. So I said, I'm, I'm going to do a gobble to gobble beard. Okay. So the first, you know, so in theory, the gob the beard would have started the day I heard the first gobble, right. which had been the Arkansas youth turkey season. Okay. The beard lasted <clears throat> until I heard a gobble again, gobble to gobble. And so the beard actually was about a 13-month beard. Yeah, because gobbles were a little scarce this year. Gobbles were scarce. (laughs) But no, so the beard was eligible to be be shaved, and so I shaved it, and I've left the stash. Yeah. My kids think I look like a cartoon. Yeah. They uh, what they think you look like before? I I don't know. Don't ask. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> hey, you're hearing the voice of uh, Brent Reeves, Reeves with an A, right. and uh, Colby Moorhead over here. Don't to don. Yep. Hey, we're at the global headquarters. We are. Uh, we're all about six feet apart. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, we're. By the time this comes out, there'll probably be a cure. <laughs> Uh, Brent had a uh, 16 ounce bottle of Coca Cola in his hand, and he said, "I hate Coca Cola. <laughs> Where's the trash can?" And I said, "Well, why'd you buy it?" And Brent said, "I wanted something to drink. <laughs> I wanted something to drink." And so now he's got a cup of coffee. But uh, the the vessel with which in which the coffee is resting is what we should be talking about. Flashy mule. The flashy mule. Yeah, mug. it's a flashy mule mug. Pretty sharp looking mug, isn't it? Some of these folks have probably seen my mug that I've toted all over the country and yes. hemisphere with you, as a matter of fact. I'm but surprised this, you didn't bring it. Well, 
It's like the it's like Colonel Sanders and the other guy that knew the recipe. We can't travel together all the time, especially when the weather's bad. In case something happens, in case something happens, yeah, you never know. Didn't we? Didn't you lose that somewhere? And we had to go back and find it. No, it was the lid. It was the lid came. You off. lost the lid riding a mule. Riding a mule when we were uh, in New Mexico. Deer hunt. No. Oh or no, deer we hunt. were deer hunting That's in the right. secret spot, and we found it on the way out. You saw it. Was we were riding out. Yep. And found it. Good. Thank goodness. Absolutely. Well, uh, man, you've been doing all right in the quarantine. Absolutely. Well, you you you've been you've been doing it too. I mean, you you've been quarantining. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was telling Colby earlier. I may be the only person this has affected the, the least because you yeah. know I work from home and. So I'm there a lot of the majority of the time working on my computer and stuff and working remotely. So I actually got a benefit from it because when they turn school out, my little girl comes home. I finally got somebody to play with, you know. Yeah. So I got somebody to occupy my time and talk to, and we have a good time. And Yeah. So. Well, it messed up our uh, Saskatchewan hunt. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, and I was supposed to go to. Quebec. Uh, Quebec and, uh, well, about right now. Quebec, as they say. Yeah. Well, they always, we don't, they always we spell don't. it with a K if they want to pronounce it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they wanted a Southerner to say Quebec, they would have put a K rather than a Q. Shouldn't have made it so French. Yeah. Well, <laughs> You'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> Please pardon our French friends and <laughs> Quebec, Quebec uh, sponsors. Uh, no, hey, so... Brent, the reason I invited you to the global headquarters today is uh, I hear that you uh, got a few stories, and uh, I've been accused of that. No, okay. Let me let me go on a little spiel about storytelling. Okay, the best storytellers are people that don't know that they're storytellers, but they just tell stories. Okay, so I I, I don't like to label someone a storyteller. Because it's it's like you know telling the kid he's good at something, and all of a sudden it's like yeah. that's the chip he wears on his shoulder, and mm-hmm. he tries to get attention from that stuff. So you you are one of the worst <laughs> storytellers <laughs> I have heard. Okay, uh, so I don't I I have found that the best storytellers have no idea that they're good storytellers until you know they just when they start talking, people just gather around them, but. We come from a from a rich history of oral storytelling traditions in the South and in other places too, but we're just going to say that what we know is kind of Southern storytelling. Sure. And in a world of massive amounts of communication, so what's happening globally is that communication is at the highest level ever in the history of humanity. Sure. Since we wandered across the Bering Land Bridge into North America, storytelling has now, or, or, or just communication is so powerful. Internet, video, mm-hmm. podcast, written word, we're bombarded, bombarded, bombarded with information, information, information. But the one thing that is sort of slack inside of that communication is real human-to-human oral storytelling and tradition and to me that's one of the awesome things that hunting does because when the very nature of hunting means that you're in a remote place you're in a remote place where typically 
technological communication is going to be minimized. Now, you may still be in cell range or whatever, but generally, the idea of a hunt with someone else is that you're going to be in some wild place and you're going to be with these people that you're with. Yeah, separated from all that. Human-to-human communication. Yeah. Well, there's so much powerful stuff that comes from one-to-one human communication, like powerful nuance of what someone values. You get to see and hear and understand what the way people think, what people think is funny, you know, like all this powerful, great stuff. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I love that. And, uh, and so I think that, uh, that a big part of, uh, something that hunting brings is good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so me and you are going to do a dueling stories little deal here. Okay. So you're going to tell a story. Me and Colby are going to listen and laugh. Mm-hmm. And then I'm yeah. going to tell a story. Well, you know, it's funny when, when, when you describe that as people who are storytellers. Every story that I have ever told you has not been a. Oh, I got. I'm, when I see Clay, I'm going to tell him this story. Yeah. And so it would be in the middle of. We could be talking about arithmetic, you know, and uh, it would remind me of something totally opposite. Yeah. And then, you know, we would go from there. So, I get it about the, about the uh, more organic. I think a story is, if if that makes any sense. Absolutely. The better it is. I yeah, think. yeah. So you're not you're not telling a story to try to draw attention to yourself. Yeah, or rehearse the be, it. The or best anything. storytellers are are telling stories because it makes sense because they're conversationalists. Yeah, you know, I'm, I try to teach my kids how to be conversationalists. You know, to be a conversationalist just just means that you know to have conversation with someone to engage with someone shows that you're interested in someone. Yeah, how you do it, you know. Right, body language, you know, and, and you know when a lot of times, you know, when you're telling me something and I go to sleep, you know, I shouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I should. Yeah, I should try to stay awake. Colby, you know, you feel the pain. You're mm-hmm. you're here every day, <laughs> but no, seriously, I mean, you, that is will bring so much more out of what somebody is telling you is just acting interested and. You know, everything now is a text message or a sound bite, and yeah. you, you send a text message. You can't put in – there's no inflection in that. Whoever you send that to, it's up to them to interpret that the way you send it. And then that's – you got a 50-50 chance whether yeah. that, if that's going to happen right or not, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, tell me that story about when your old daddy brought home that uh, bucking horse. <laughs> Uh, this was in 1988. 1988. 1988. What were you doing in 1988? I, I, you know what? I remember the New Year's Eve party of 1987 when the <laughs> clock rolled to 1988. Really? I, uh-huh. I vividly I remember the house I was in. It was some people uh, that we went to church with. We were at their house. I remember their names. And I remember the television set flashing up 1988. Mm-hmm. Remember the color of the carpet, the panel walls. I remember the cheese dip we had. <laughs> wow. I'm, ser- I'm serious. And it, for something about 19, I think uh, Dukakis was, uh, it was running against. Watch your language. Uh, <laughs> Dukakis was running against. Uh, That's fun to say. He was in there somehow because I just remember Mike Dukakis. Yeah. So I was uh, nine years old. 
Eight were, years old. Okay. I don't remember it at all. One year old. <laughs> <laughs> you were born in 1987? Yeah. So you you don't you didn't have cheese dip at that time. You probably didn't have not. cheese dip that year. Bottled <laughs> bottled cheese dip, probably so. It probably was like powdered cheese or something. My That's dad, formula. yeah. My dad and a friend of his went to a horse sale in Oklahoma, and for ever growing up, we we squirrel hunted and off of horses, you know, mm-hmm. with dogs off of horses. We talked about that before. And that that was that was how we squirrel hunted. You know, you got a horse and. They could go in the woods, a good, you know, woods-type horse that you could shoot off of. And and I was looking for one, you know, and I was young and had a lot of money. So my Wait a dad, minute, you were young and had a lot of money? Did not have a lot of money. Noted. And uh, uh, my dad was in a horse sale in Oklahoma with a friend, and they come across a good deal on a horse, <laughs> a quarter horse. And he thought, well, you know, that's a, that's a good – that's a horse for a young man. Brent can ride that horse and get him, you know, uh, trained How old were you? In 1988, 22. Okay. And um, so he brought him home, and, and he's a rested quarter horse. A sorrel horse, man. He was pretty. Looked good. He was slick. And uh, my dad told me, he said, now, I got this. I got a good deal on this horse. He said, you don't owe me anything. And uh, he said, I, he gave me a saddle, got me hooked up, man. I had everything I needed. Had a little old barn behind my house where I was living. And he said, now this horse comes from a ranch out in Oklahoma where they raise bucking horses, which was a red flag mm-hmm. to begin with. <laughs> yeah. He said, but this horse could not make it as a bucking horse. Mm. He just, he didn't have the fire in his belly. You know, he, he couldn't, he wasn't a big, wasn't real big horse. And he just, he wasn't a bucking horse. It just wasn't in him to be one. So they broke him. They used him on the ranch there, and then they sold him. And my dad bought him, and he brought him to me. Mm. And this is where it starts. <laughs> the next day after he brought it, they got home late. They got in late that night. We unloaded him, put him in the barn. I got up the next morning, daylight. Horse's name. Horse's name was Kent on the paper. He handed me his paper, or the registration papers, and I remember it. Like I'm looking at him right now, his name was Ken's Reward. Ken's Reward. Ken, like K-E-N apostrophe S. Ken, if you're listening to this podcast, your reward. Contact us, and we will give you a. Let's go for it, Colby. Lifetime subscription to Bear Honey Magazine. <laughs> if you can prove that you are the Ken who this sorrel flunky bucking horse was the reward of, yeah, you will get a reward from BHM. Yeah, Global. Okay, for real. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. I've also I need to talk to I need to talk to you too, Ken. Because I, I need to, I want to know what your criteria oh, is for a good bucking horse. <laughs> yeah. If this was a bad bucking horse, I'd like to see a good bucking horse. So I get him saddled up the next morning, and there, there was a, a rent in his house, and it had a, a pond in the back. In the lower part of that field, in it, the the pond dam would seep, and there was always a wet spot out there behind this dam. So Dad told me, "So you get on that horse, you ride him down there to that wet spot, and you just ride him around and around and around in that soft dirt." Said he'll get tired, and you know he'll it'll put some labor to him, and he'll realize who the who the chief is. So I put the saddle on him, let him out in the out of the corral into the edge of the field. 
got up on him and he threw me about 37 feet across. <laughs> just right off the bat. Just right off. The, I, I don't think my butt ever touched the leather. That in is the saddle. quickly. So very fast. So when I hit the ground, the horse is still standing there. It was like it, it, he hadn't even moved. I don't know how he did it. It was like the hand of God reached down and snatched me up by the hair of the head and threw me halfway across <laughs> that pasture. So I, I, I got back up on him, and it was the same thing two or three different times. Just I didn't he didn't plumb throw me, but it was all I could do to hang on, man. And I I didn't get out in the field at that point. I kept him in that corral right there behind that barn. So he didn't really have a big place to build up a head of steam. So that night, I called my dad, and I said, look, this is what happened. And he said, he said, well, you going to let the horse win, or are you going to win? Like, well, I'm going to win. He said, well, you need a club. <laughs> 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 and I, I agree with him on that part. So my brother lived just down the road, and his oldest boy had a T-ball bat. I called my brother. I said, man, I want to borrow Matthew's T-ball bat. It was an aluminum bat. And it was about, I don't know, two and a half feet long, maybe. Had a good, thin, narrow handle on it. And I, <laughs> one that I thought I could kind of keep a horse in line with it. So uh, he brought it to me, and I got it. And that night, and the next morning, I go out there, same routine. I go in there, and I'll saddle him up first thing in the morning, no problem. I mean, he'll take a bit in his mouth. He didn't, didn't balk at nothing. Cinched him up with the girt and everything. He was just, he would no problem, give you no indication that anything was, was wrong. Insane. I took him out in the edge of that field. I put that uh, bat in my right hand, taking the lane, reins in my left, and we walked out in the edge of that field there. And when we got out, he started. Man, I could feel him tense up. And when he bowed up, I mean, he, in my mind, his back looked like a Halloween cat on a poster. He had a big hump in his back. Mm-hmm. He's fixing to take off. And mm-hmm. I hit him between the ears with that bat <laughs> so hard. And it was mostly because I, he, I was scared. He scared me. Because I thought, man, I am going to the moon this time. And when I hit him, that horse took one step and fell over <laughs> on his side. And as he fell down, I just stepped off of him. And I'm sitting there holding the reins in my left hand, that bat in my right, and I'm looking down at a horse that I think I have just killed single-handedly. <laughs> One lick. Uh, it couldn't have lasted more than 10 or 15 <laughs> seconds. But I, I was trying to figure out uh, all this time, it was like information overload. I've killed this horse that my dad bought me two days ago. What a, and how am I going to get this saddle off of him? <laughs> and what am I going to do with a dead horse? And about that time, I seen his eyes start flickering. His eyes start rolling around, and he's starting to get up. And when he gets when he gets up, I just step right back up on him. <laughs> I had my leg in that in the stirrup. Yeah. yeah, he just stood up, and it was like I had never left. <laughs> and he was like, "This dude is the king." <laughs> he was absolutely like a twenty year old mare. That could barely walk. He just he just walk around. You could light rein him left and right. You could think left and right. But now he still had a little booger in him. So when I kept him for a while, and any time you could kind of feel him getting a little uh, getting a little snorty, as they say, you could all you could do is just raise your hand up like you 
like you had a bat in your hand <laughs> and immediately calm. <laughs> no problem. So, uh, so it worked. It worked out for me. Do you remember what your dad said to you after that? Good I mean, I, I don't. I'm just wondering. Your dad always had something clever to say. Oh, no. He was just like, you know, I, I told you, like, you know, something like perfect. that. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's what well, you should do. From a, from a training perspective, aside <laughs> from nearly killing the horse, which we do not condone on the Bear Honey Magazine Absolutely podcast. Absolutely not. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, I mean, when, because you were on him when yeah. he woke up, that was that was just right. I think if it had been in any other form if he if i had been you know walked around the front of him and he come to and 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 woke up and i tried to get back on him i don't think it would ever work and i and i'm not ken's reward i'm not uh i'm not saying that's a a method you should use but it it worked for me in that one particular time yeah it worked for me yeah so that worked yeah so ken Larry Mahan before the bat. I don't think Larry Mahan could have rode that horse. And he, he <laughs> Larry was, uh, Mahan. I don't know who that is. Well, you Google him. He was. He could ride the hair off of anything. Winged Pegasus. Hey, that's a great story. Let me tell you a story. Lay it on me. Okay, this has nothing to do with horses. Mm-hmm. One time when Bear Newcomb was, uh, he was three years old. Bear Newcomb was three years old. Bear's uh, how old? Bear Bear's now? fourteen. Fourteen. We, I took him, I took him out to this farm that we deer hunt, and uh, I was going to hang a deer stand, and it was about it was about July. Let's say it was July. Okay, it was or it was mid. It was it was in the summer, and uh, we were going out to hang a stand just right over here in Washington County. And uh, I went back into the woods, and, and and it was one of these deals where I had him with me, kind of not necessarily. By choice, but because you know his mother was somewhere, and I had to take him doing something productive. So yeah, so Bear Newcomb's with me. He's three <laughs> years old. Well, I've got these little climbing ladders, and I go to the tree, and I'm trying to talk to him. You know, to like tell him, you know, hey, Bear, Daddy's gonna climb this tree. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang a t- tree stand, and we're gonna shoot a deer out of here. You know, it just yeah. here's how you do. And so I go, and uh, he's at the base of the tree, and I start using these ladders stacking these ladders Mm -hmm. and I start getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And I'm looking down at him and he's probably three foot from the base of that tree. Right. Well, I'm probably 20 feet up. I used to hang stands real high. Mm -hmm. I'm 20 feet up strapping this lock on onto the stand and bear decides that I'm too far away from him. And he starts kind of getting scared down (laughs) on the ground by himself. Yeah. So bear Newcomb just starts crying, Mm -hmm. just bawling. Like a baby, <laughs> just you know, and and I'm I'm kind of trying to calm him down, you know. And we're kind of talking quiet. We're in the woods, you know. I'm like, bear, bear, it's okay, buddy. Daddy's up here, and he just cries all the more, you know. I think he had a bottle in his arm, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, directly, I hear the woods crashing, something coming. Oh. I, you know, I'm in this eagle's nest perch way up here, and I hear something just getting closer and closer and closer. And I go to watching, and a white-tailed doe deer comes busting in, super thick, so you couldn't see more than probably 10, 15 yards mm-hmm. any direction. She comes in full blast running. 
She thought he was a fawn. Yeah, she could hear him bawling. (laughs) And she and Bear Newcomb meet face to face. They couldn't have been five feet (laughs) apart. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And Bear... You know, Bear finally cues in that something's coming, and he turns, and that doe jumps into that opening, and they have a stare down for about three seconds. Bear goes completely silent, (laughs) staring this doe down in the face, and then, you know, as soon as it happened, the doe busted out of there. And Bear was absolutely as sober as a church mouse. And he looks up at me in the tree and points and goes, deer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. If I hadn't seen it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. And if he had told me that when he got back in the truck, Daddy, I saw a deer. I would have been like, sure, you yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. But, we yeah, that was the day that Bear Newcomb called in a doe deer. Does he have any recollection of that? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I've told him the story, but I don't think he recalls that. That's funny. At all. That's real funny. Let me, let me, while I'm on the subject, though, of catching animals, let me tell another one. Because my kids, so my kids are, oldest is 18, youngest is 12, Okay. So for the pri- decade and a half prior, the last 15 years, I have pretty much dedicated my life to catching animals by hand and bringing them back to my kids for mm-hmm. short stints of time. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, have, we, have, uh, we have had three pet deer when it was legal in Arkansas. There was mm-hmm. a time in Arkansas where you could have up to six wild hand-caught deer. Right. We've raised three deer. We've had multiple coons. We've had uh, a coyote. I've caught a beaver. I've caught a woodchuck. I've caught every about everything you can catch except for a skunk by hand, which I had a skunk when I was a little kid. Right. But let me tell you the story about when I caught the coyote. Okay? Okay. Uh, we had uh, – we it was, again, a summer scouting trip, and we had gone to this farm – same farm that the deer, now that I think about it, so these stories are connected, but it was about two or three years later because Bear was five years it's old. like a petting zoo over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, Bear Newcomb, fence around. I was sitting there talking to the landowner, and Bear Newcomb comes over and taps me on the leg and says, hey, Daddy, look at this. <laughs> and he, he, I'm holding in my hand the nicest yeah. stone projectile point that the Newcombs have. Um, it's about a three-and-a-half-inch long, Probably a spear point or maybe an atlatl point. Beautiful flint. Bear Newcomb found that laying on the ground in their corral and comes up and taps me on the leg and says, hey, Daddy, look at this. And I go, holy cow, <laughs> son, that is a beautiful stone point. And uh, anyway, that happened that day. Well, we took a four-wheeler up, and I was hanging a stand. Well, after we got done hanging the stand, I just – it was one of these – it was a weird moment when I – just had like this this inclination to go for a little walkabout for no reason, but I was looking for something, Brent. Like literally the boys were at the four-wheeler, and I said, boys, y'all stay here. And I hadn't left them the whole day. And I said, daddy's going to go down for a little walk. It, it, I'm, I'm serious. It was like something drawing me into the wood. I vividly remember it. And I get about 40 yards from the four-wheeler, and it's thick brush, and a covey of little coyotes, about seven, eight-week-old coyotes, just flush up in front of me like a covey of quail busting. Yeah. 
I don't. I, I guess they were huddled up by a rock. I don't know, but uh, there were three coyote pups that just like poof, just took off right in front of me. And man, I again, I was looking for something, and I was ready. And buddy, I took off after them. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, for those Strike of you, for, the, for, the, for those of you who chased wildlife, <laughs> like the initial moments of the chase indicate a lot of what's about to happen. Yeah, it's like, going to does, wind up. Does the, does the animal just run off and leave you? Yeah. Or are you gaining on it? Yeah. And I mean, you like sense, you have this like deep sense of like predatory instinct. Yeah. Well, I didn't think I could catch them, but they were small enough that I felt like I might be able to and that if I got one that I might be able to handle it without him eating me up. Right. <laughs> and so I took off after these suckers. I was wearing big old green lacrosse boots. I mean, so I wasn't in my Nikes, you know? (laughs) And, uh, buddy, about the first 20 yards, we are neck and neck. And I feel good about that. (laughs) Humans are known for endurance. Okay? Uh A lot of these animals are known for short bursts of speed. speed. Well, I'm about 15, 20 feet behind them. And, I mean, we're just trailing through the woods. I mean, like a, you know, like a lion chasing a pack of gazelles. Well, one of them split off to the right, and I stayed on the two. And then, and they start to turn and go downhill rather than uphill. Yeah. They start to turn and go downhill. One of them splits off. And so I, you know, just instinctively chose one to chase. Mm-hmm. And he turns down this little drainage and is it starts running down this little draw with Big boulders and it looks a lot like that picture right there. I mean, just like boulders, rocks, drainages. Right. And we're going downhill, and I start gaining steam. I start getting faster and faster and yeah. faster and faster, mm-hmm. and I'm ca- I'm gaining on him. And buddy, I start to feel my head get in front of my feet, <laughs> and I absolutely bit running as fast as a. Let's see, how many years ago was that? Um, Bears for it, uh, you know, fast as a thirty-year-old man can run. That's in decent shape. Right. And downhill I, is pretty good. Downhill in just a <clears throat> boulder thicket, and I bust it. And as I'm flying through the air, I had enough time to calculate to think you're gonna get hurt bad by this fall. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought, yeah. something's gonna break. Yeah. That's what it felt like. But I was so engulfed in the chase, and I just tumble. Bam, bam. I mean, just flap down on the rocks. And not only have I hurt myself, probably, but the coyotes got away. Right. Well, as soon as I hit the ground, I kind of feel around. And, you know, what you think of breaking is your arms. Because, you know, my arms hit first. Yeah. And then my legs were good. And and I kind of, like, flex Still feel your feet? (laughs) But I think the coyote's gone. Well, I look up. And that coyote, I guess when it saw me going into the dive like a falcon, <laughs> it folded up and just was laying in a ball about five feet in front of me. And so I poke my head up. He pokes his head up. And pew, the chase is on again. <laughs> <laughs> Round two. <laughs> and so, I mean, because he was still there, I was like, well, okay. And so, this far. Here we go. Here we go again. Here we go again. Well. About, I don't know, the chase went maybe 50 more yards, and he ducks into a hole under a big rock. Like He knew where he was going. Yeah, he was headed there from the beginning. Yep, he was headed there from the beginning, and he goes under this hole. Well, I'm thinking, 
I wonder if Mama Coyote's in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, these pups are still like nursing, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. And so I make a split second decision that I don't care if Mama Coyote's in there. I'm going to try to get this pup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the rock was just big enough that you know I was able to tip it over. Mm-hmm. And so I grab the rock and tip it over. And turns out the hole wasn't as deep as I thought. And that coyote was just balled up underneath that rock. And I just took my hand like that. And I kind of gritted my teeth. And I was just like, I don't know what's about to happen. but And I just went, bam, and just grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and just pinned him on the ground. And I didn't know it at the time. But when you catch a coyote by hand, they just immediately go docile. Yeah, I've hmm. seen that with trappers and different things. Hmm. Uh, and he just turned into like a little lab. Huh. And I carried him by the scruff of the neck up the mountain. I've never been more proud in my life. <laughs> and I walked up to those two boys and I said, look here, boys. We got ourselves a coyote. And we put a rope around that sucker's neck and led him out of the woods like a hound dog. Really? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Golly. And we like took Tarzan. him home. We took him home. And uh, I tried the darndest to tame that thing. And he just... I couldn't get him tame. He kept biting us. Yeah. Mm. And uh, finally he got... That's just we, his, that was just his rabies acting up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> finally, after a few weeks, you know, and the boys were always out there, you know, messing yeah. with it. And, and I mean, they, it was in a cage. And finally I was just like, this is going to be trouble. Yeah. And so uh, I actually turned him loose. People ask if I killed him, and I did not. I turned mm-hmm. him loose. Yeah. That's so, crazy, man. Anyway, <laughs> he made a tree dog out of that coyote. <laughs> he probably uh, wouldn't bark a lot on the track. We but called yeah. him Cody. We yeah. called they called him Cody. His locate would have been real distinct. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, all right, tell me a story. I'll tell you a story about my senior trip. You know, uh oh, everybody has a story about their senior trip. And where I grew up and went to school in southeast Arkansas, if you were going on a senior trip, it was going to wind up in Florida on the beach. Right. I cared nothing. At that point in my life, I had never seen the ocean or the beach and didn't care about going back there. But I hadn't lost anything there. It didn't sound like a fun trip to me. But I was going. Because all my friends were going. And on the night of the graduation, after we graduated, there at the football field, and everybody gathered up, and everybody's families were there, and we were saying, okay, you know, we're going to meet back here at 10 o'clock. Everybody, and we're going to caravan all the way to Panama City or wherever it was. And uh, my brother, again, my brother, Mm -hmm. my my ball bat supplier, (laughs) my older brother, Tim, he's there, and he says, well, you've all packed up and ready to go. I'm like, I don't want to go. So you don't want to go on your senior trip? I said, yeah, I want to go on a senior trip, but I don't want to go to Florida. I don't want to go to, to the beach and the ocean. He said, well, let's let's go fishing. <laughs> that sounds good to me. So we went home that night, gathered up everything that we could find to go camping. And the next morning after breakfast, we took off for the Saline River. We carried everything that we thought we would need with us because when we got to the river, we're going to put the boat in at uh, the Mount Elba Access, which has re- since then been, I'm proud to say, named after 
dedicated, yeah. named after my Your dad. dad. Uh huh. What are it, they called? Buddy Reeves? It's the Lloyd Wilton Buddy Reeves Celine River Access. Oh, that's right cool. on. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's when uh, we had that done or when it was passed, the Game and Fish Commission voted on it. You know, one of the commissioners told me, he said, man, he said, this is something that's forever. He said, it'll be, it'll be that name forever and ever as long as there's a Game and Fish Commission. That's it. So that's cool. Pretty good place, and especially a place that he loved. But anyway, we put the boat in there. We put on a little nine-horse Johnson on the back of it. All our camping gear, which was a two sleeping bags and a tent, and uh, uh, what groceries we could scrounge together uh, because we were going to uh, some cooking oil because we were going to catch everything we ate. Because fish, eating, you know, I could eat fish. There's no one in my family that doesn't love fish and fish, mm-hmm. fresh fish out of the river especially. Mm-hmm. So three for three or four days, that's what we were going to eat, you know. And if we needed anything, it wasn't that far to go back to town to get something. But our plan was to survive on what we had with us mm-hmm. and go. So we put it into boat ramp, and we traveled about a mile down the river. To a place we had picked out uh, to put pitch our tent, and that was going to be our headquarters where we were going to do our fishing. We pulled up there on the bank, got our tent set up, started fishing, had our crickets and our fly rods, and that's that's what we rim fished down there was fly rods with crickets and you know small corks, and we just floated down the river and we caught enough fish till we had enough for lunch. We motored back up to our camping spot. Well, it was about that time we got our fish cleaned. We got up there, we got ready to cook, and we realized we did not have a skillet. (laughs) We didn't have a Dutch oven. We didn't have anything (laughs) to cook this fish in. So, and we don't want to go back to town. I mean, we just got there. (laughs) So I looked around, and my brother looked around, and on that bank, on the bank of the the river there where we had camped, we found a five- pound coffee can, Folgers coffee can that had washed up. And we figured heat and hot grease would kill just about anything that <laughs> would harm dust. So rust. So we took the we took that thing down to the river and we washed it out with some sand. We poured some oil in it and lit a fire underneath it and then we commenced to cooking fish. Now I can't say that the grease the color of the grease was that inviting, but we're still going on the on the idea that you know hot heat will kill anything that's going to be right, harmful right. to us. So mm-hmm. we fried our fish up, and we're about halfway through frying that fish, and we we realized the second thing we didn't bring was any potatoes. Mm. And that while this is going on, this conversation that we're having back and forth over this uh, over the fire while we're cooking this fish in this coffee can. There's an old man that had a cabin not far up the river. He comes floating by, brim fishing. And he hollered at us, hey, boys, y'all cooking cooking your fish? Yes, sir, we are. And I, thought, I told Tim, I said, let's ask him for some potatoes. I know he's got some at his cab, cabin. So my brother hollers at him by name. He says, hey, we've run off and forgot our taters. Can, you, uh, can we borrow some? And he said, well, y'all got some onion, don't you? And everybody knows in the South that you can't fry fish and not eat onion and mm, potatoes. Sure. But we, we didn't have any. 
but we didn't want to look like idiots. <laughs> not of that, course we got onions. Not, <laughs> not, not, not that cooking uh, fish in a rusty coffee can was any indication that <laughs> we were anything but idiots. And my brother looks at him and says, oh, yeah, we got plenty of onions. <laughs> and that man said, well, that's all you need. And he kept right on fishing. <laughs> so we thought, well, that that ruined that. So it didn't work. We did have some light bread. And we, we love hush puppies and I had an idea. I said, what about, well, we'll just fry some of this. We'll deep fry some of this uh, light bread. <laughs> so Tim, he says, well, what you should, we need to do is just roll, ball this thing, take a piece of light bread and ball it up like a hush puppy and drop it in there. And I don't know why no one has thought of that before. Because <laughs> Sounds reasonable to me. It is. It is. And if you would like to do that, I can save you some trouble. <laughs> if you just take a like a sponge that you would, clean dishes with yeah. and pour some grease on it and chew on that, that'd be about like what it is <laughs> trying to make light bread into a into a hush puppy. But we stayed, we stayed down there for four days. We were actually went that afternoon we went out and we got some potatoes and and onion. So we did have onion from the for the next we got meal. some onions. But we caught fish every day and we ate fish every day and for breakfast, lunch and supper and that was my senior trip. That was your senior trip. Mm-hmm. That was it. I'll be darned. Well, <laughs> sounds like a good time. I talked to, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks about senior trips, and I always ask them, where'd you go? And it's Florida, you know, Florida, beach, Disney World, anywhere. Nobody yet has said, I went camping with my brother. and on we the cooked, Saline River. And we ate fish cooked in a coffee can. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I I don't think I – oh, I, I know what I did for a senior trip. You know what I did for a senior trip? I was just about to tell you I didn't do a senior trip. I remember exactly what I did uh, after I graduated is uh, I stayed out a little bit late that night. I didn't – I was never a party or anything, but I mm-hmm. went out with some friends to do a few things. And uh, Gary Newcomb roused me at 4 a.m. in the morning, and we went turkey hunting the day after I graduated. Oh, in really? Missouri. We actually drove to Missouri. Right on. I don't think we got there uh, before daylight, but we uh, we left, and we hunted for two or three days in Missouri. Yeah. Yep. Those are the best kind. What about you, Kobe? I didn't do anything. I think I went to work Did the you next graduate day. Co- high school? <laughs> <laughs> you still waiting? Hey, he found his uh, Texas A&M ring. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I thought it was missing in the bayou, like down in southern Arkansas on some public land, but uh, that's the last time I remember seeing it. But it fell out of a couch when I was moving it on the trailer the other day. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's been missing like four or five years. It fell, it fell out of a couch. Can you believe that? Wow. And it's your Texas A&M ring. And it, it was actually bothering you that you lost it? <laughs> Ooh. I'm just kidding. Ooh. I'm just kidding. Your wife's from Texas. <laughs> yeah. Hey, okay. But- I, I, got a, I got a short story. Lay it on me. It's called, I call, I like to call it fire on the mountain. Run. Oh. Okay. Run, boy. Run. One time, one time I was hunting in the Washtenaw National Forest and it was in late November uh-huh. and I was, I was, the intent was to bear hunt, but I was also going to deer hunt and it was a cold, it was one of these super cold mornings. Um, you know, like for, for down there, you know, it had been like 27, 26 degrees, oh, yeah. hard <laughs> frost. And, uh, and I had woke up, uh, nah, I may have stayed at my mom and dad's house. I can't remember if I left from here and drove the two hours, but basically I was walking in the woods before daylight. Right. The intent was to, uh, walk most of the day. And, uh, 
And so when I do that, and you're in your backpack hunting, you don't carry a bunch of clothes. You sure. Know? Mm-hmm. I, I dramatically underestimated the coldness of that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started walking in the dark, and I had to pull up this big mountain. And by the time I got all the way over the mountain, across the top, and off the backside of the mountain, I was bone chilling cold really i mean just like that, it had warmed you up no oh. it, it, I, and i realized i had dramatically underestimated the cold mm-hmm. and uh now i was on the north side of this mountain and it was just like one big shadow and uh it was i just remember it, it, one of those feelings that you would just like i would trade my inheritance to get warm <laughs> you know there's a biblical story of uh Jacob and Esau, Esau. where Esau came in from a hunting trip and was so hungry Mm -hmm. that he traded his birthright to his brother for a bowl of lentil beans. Yeah, that's got to be some good beans. So, you know, like in biblical teaching, like you, you, you know, that story is used as a foolish example of someone who used uh, this carnal kind of momentary desire. They traded that in for something that had like this deep value. You know, because as soon as he ate the beans, like, you know, it's like, well, that may not have been worth it. Yeah. But he was super hungry. I kind of felt like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I would do, I would burn these woods down <laughs> if I could have a fire. <laughs> well, it was real, it was moist, like everything was wet. Mm-hmm. And I did have a lighter, but I didn't have like a fire starter. Mm-hmm. Or, and so, you know, I knew it was going to be a major deal to get a fire going. Yeah. But I, I was like, forget the hunt. I've got to have some relief. I, I, I may have been wearing a T-shirt. I don't even remember. <laughs> well, I, I remember being on this steep slope, probably about a 45-degree slope on the north side of this mountain, and I found a flat rock in a, about as big as a toilet seat. And I flipped that flat rock up and put another rock up underneath it as to make a platform. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm with you. And I knelt down below the platform so that my chest was about even with this little workbench that I now had, okay? Mm-hmm. I started to grab some pine needles and kind of get them distributed out across the rock because I was about to start a fire on that rock. But I need, I felt like I needed something dry and hard because my idea, I was muzzleloader hunting, and I had about... 300 grains of Pyrodex powder. <laughs> and uh, this is about to get good. Here's the ignition source. <laughs> and you know, like the little the, the Pyrodex the pellets. pellets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I have for my life been under the inclination that gunpowder burns. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done it before mm-hmm. where you cut open a shotgun shell and pour the gunpowder down and light that gunpowder right. and it just, it just burns. You're like on Daniel Boone when they make a make a trail, blow the door off the fort <laughs> yeah. with a gunpowder keg. Well, but so anyway, I had this Pyrodex powder, <laughs> and so I put a hundred grains of Pyrodex powder on that rock, and I got a little another little rock, and I started mashing it up, crunch, 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 <laughs> made it into just into just this powder. About as you know, it was about a teaspoonful of black powder. Right. Well. I pull out my lighter and I've got all my wet sticks that when this lights, I'm going to put the wet sticks on it and it's going to dry them out because it's such a hot heat. And man, I was wearing glasses like I always do and have for a long time. Right. And I remember 
putting that lighter lit and on to that 100 grains of Pyrodex powder, and the next thing that I remember is fire <laughs> completely engulfing my full peripheral vision and i am not kidding fire i mean right now wherever you're at envision how much you can see take your hands you. and start put your hands up in the air like you're being arrested and start to move your Again. hands back until you can't see them and that's where fire okay was. so from about your ears 90 degrees <laughs> over you know 180 degrees basically there was fire. <laughs> fire. Things and are heating up. <laughs> I do not yeah. know if the explosion knocked me back or if I jumped, which I probably just jumped back. All I know is I was laying about eight feet away down the hill, and my glasses were nowhere to be found. <laughs> or eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, eyebrows. Uh, and burnt hair. I could smell burnt hair. <laughs> I didn't have a beard at the time, but it singed my eyelashes. And uh, anyway, I I get to looking around and finally find my glasses, and they have burnt sparks into the plastic. Oh, my gosh. Plastic lenses, you know? Yeah. And 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 it actually sparks burnt the plastic. Not not burned it up, but, you know, just little specks like you've been welding wearing those glasses. Yeah, you would have felt it had you not had them on. Oh, man. That Fortunate. put the fear of God in me. It really did. I, it was one of those moments out in the woods where, you know, I mean, I, I've been in the woods enough that rarely does something happen that just makes me feel like I absolutely know nothing. Mm-hmm. Just like take the breath out of you. Just going, holy cow, that went way different than I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> and not in a good way. Oh, man. Uh, it warmed me right up, though. Yeah. I, did, I didn't worry about getting cold the rest of the day. No problem. But it, uh, I was just like, golly, how stupid could I have been? Anyway, don't try to light Pyrodex powder. I'm with you. I'm on. I'm going to take your word for it. On that. that is a uh, fire a on the mountain. That's a lesson for everybody. <laughs> fire on the mountain, or how I got rid of my eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a story. It involves my dad in the same area down there. A lot of you know. I talked to my brother on the way up here, and. Uh, I called him when you I said, you know, call your brother and tell him what your favorite story is. And so I called him and we were talking and, and he said, you know, this is, a, he says, kind of a hard question to answer. He said, because to pick one story out of everything that's going on, because usually when we get together, it's in a woodland place somewhere usually in that part of the world yeah and it usually involves some near-death experience through our buffoonery of some (laughs) type you know so but i i I did think about this one and um which he he wasn't there but he knew the story but this is um my dad and my uncle and i were squirrel hunting and we were on the horses with the dogs and having a good morning we killed several squirrels and my my uncle had on a brand new stetson hat felt hat it looked good and he looked good in it classic i'm telling you it was a good looking classic hat. and my arkansas think, squirrel hunter exactly you know i mean and my dad uh we we everybody wore you know a hat of course and my dad his old hat he was wearing didn't look near like my uncle so but uh 
my uncle kept talking about that hat. Well, the longer my uncle talked about that hat, my dad was talking about how good a shot he was with this Browning twenty two. <laughs> and he, which he is a good, he was a good shot. And he, you know the little short Browning twenty two rifles, mm. uh-huh. and that's what we squirrel hunted with was twenty two, especially with dogs. You know, and there's no leaves on the trees. And the majority of the time. Nine times out of ten, if he's shooting a squirrel, he's he's not getting off the horse. That's what I was for. Mm-hmm. If I didn't shoot the horse, if I didn't shoot the squirrel or whatever, if he shot it, one of them was shot, I'd bail off the back of that horse, run over there. So you're get, riding with your dad? Yeah, I'm riding right behind him. You know, I'm the co-pilot. Mm-hmm. I go back, I get the squirrel, we put him in a saddlebag, tie him on the saddle horn or whatever, and then we go on to the next one. And my dad had made a pretty good shot on that squirrel that mm-hmm. we killed, and he got to talking about that how good a shot he was. And my uncle told him, he said, I've about had enough of you and your 22 shooting skills. <laughs> he said, I'm going to throw this hat up in there, this brand new hat. He said, and I don't think you can hit it. <laughs> he said, and if you miss it, you're going to shut up about <laughs> your 22 shooting skills. I'm sick of listening to it. My dad says, okay. So I get, I climb back on the horse with my dad. My uncle rides a little 15, 20 yards away from him, stands up in the stirrups, and with all the strength of Samson, he grabbed that hat and he flung it straight up in the air like a Frisbee. And I can remember sitting on the back of that horse and looking up and watching that hat go up. And it looked like it went past the bud of every red oak in in the (laughs) Saline River bottom. Flying. And my my dad... Pulled that twenty two rifle up to his shoulder like he was shooting a Winchester Model 12 at a duck. Mm-hmm. And as that hat circled and got to the top, to the apex, I thought, right, he's, he's going to shoot. He's going to shoot it right there. He didn't. <laughs> he followed it all the way down. It was like the, the rhythm and the fluid motion that he had following that hat up and down, it was a thing of beauty. Because I knew if at any time he's fixing to pull the trigger and poke a hole in that hat. All the way down it comes, flop, it hits the ground, and my dad shot that thing 11 times <laughs> as, it, as it lay on the ground. <laughs> I jumped off of it. He said, now go get your Uncle Jimmy Ray's hat. <laughs> so I go down there and get the hat, and I hand it back to my uncle. He never said a word. <laughs> But you could hold that thing in front of your face and read a newspaper. That's how many holes that had in it. So don't ever take that bet. Somebody says, because he didn't say shoot it in the air. He said, I'm just going to throw this hat up in there, and I bet you can't hit it. My dad said, I bet I can. Uh, hey, tell the we'll – do, uh, we'll do one more. I may do one more. Tell me the story of uh, when you were a little kid. And uh, you got lost with the horse. Okay. As one afternoon, also squirrel hunting with a dog on the horses. Man, that was that was what we did. That was the big thing. My dad was a big coyote hunter, you know, with, with hounds. And, and But the go-to sport there was we, we lived for squirrel season. And what kind of dogs did they run? For coyotes? No, no, for squirrels. Oh, squirrels, just curs. Curves. Curves. They were Tree fight, and curve. Uh-huh. Mountain fast, uh, mountain curves, uh, and a you know, conglomeration of breeding all together. And there was no registration or anything. They were all, you know, great dogs, but they were you could you Speaking could, of dogs. You could match them. I haven't seen we it. had a dog in here. I turned her out earlier. 
She's oh, yeah, right. right. She's all right. She's all right. Uh, <laughs> you just, just made me think. I better, uh, I better do some checking. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so we had this dog that I was hunting with was a uh, a little cur dog, bobtail dog. All our dogs except for one or two that I remember were bobtailed. But anyway, Dad, it wasn't much time left in the in the day. It was getting kind of late in the afternoon and. And Dad, uh, I was just begging him. You know, I was nine or ten years old, eight or nine, and you know, I want to go hunting. I want to go hunting. I want to go hunting. He's like, I'll just go back here behind the house. So he saddled a horse for me. I couldn't saddle it. I mean, I knew how to saddle a horse, but this horse I was riding was a, a big buckskin horse my dad had. One of the I had never seen a a good as good a woods horse as that one was. But he was he was big. He was a he also used him to pull a plow in a mm. small garden we had there. So I mean, he mm. was he was a gated horse. Mm-hmm. He was probably if I I remember like 15, 16 hands tall. He was he's a big horse, especially mm-hmm. for a little kid to get up and on, yeah, so, or off and on. So he got him saddled up, stuck a twenty two in the in the scabbard, and cut the dog loose. And I climbed on him, and away we went behind the house. And I remember killing two squirrels. And we got to the third squirrel, and that was going to be the, 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 the if he treed pretty quick, that would be the last squirrel, and then we'd still have time to get back to the house before dark. And I wasn't worried about keeping up where I was going. When it got dark, I was just going to kick that horse in the side and give him his head, and you know he's going to go straight back to the house, regardless of where we were. Mm-hmm. And we got down there, and the dog treed. I bailed off of uh, old Buck and tied him up to a bush there, and as I got off, the squirrel started running, and the dog was chasing him through the timber. He was timbering out, just, I mean, mm. going. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you how far he went, but I know when we finally stopped and the squirrel went in the hole and, and I lost him, I couldn't find him, looked for him, looked for him, looked for him. Dog just barking, raising up, you know, came. She knows where he went. I see a hole up there, and I realize he's gone. And I've decided then we're just going to go back to the horse and, get on the horse and go home mm-hmm. but it's at that point i realized i don't know which way the horse is it's cloudy like it is today you know slick and overcast and i didn't know which way the sun was my, you know growing up my dad always told me you know I always know where the sun is and you know taught me about navigating through the woods even as a, as a little kid but he said do you always if you're on a horse your horse is always going to know the way home well mm. My only problem was I didn't know where my horse was. Where's the, you lost your horse. So <laughs> you lost your house and your horse. Little dog's name was Prissy. So Prissy is looking at me and I'm looking at her and she's wagging her tail and having a good time because she's out in the woods and we're hunting. And I looked at this dog dead in the eyes and said, "Go find Buck," because I was starting to get scared. <laughs> and that dog took off and run in exactly the opposite way that I thought that horse was at mm-hmm. and I thought well she's just gone hunting so I'm this is the way to the horse I'm I'm gonna go back this way and I mean this horse was humongous mm-hmm. all I and the woods were pretty open you know if I can get within 60 yards of him I'll be able to see him mm-hmm. you know? so he's huge and I start walking the longer I walk I can't I, I don't, I'm not seeing anything that looks familiar I'm starting to get scared I know it's getting darker and I hear Chrissy, and she is treed, mm-hmm. and she's barking, barking, boy. See, I mean, she's hard treeing, mm-hmm. and so I realize I'm going the wrong way, 
And I don't know, you know, I think about it now. I thought about it a hundred times why I even went to her. And it wasn't to kill a squirrel. It wasn't because I, I thought I needed to have that squirrel. It was that was the only thing around there that I knew what was was hearing that dog. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if I'm gonna have to spend the night tonight, at least I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the night with somebody I know. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so I turn around and go back towards the dog. And when I walked up to that dog, she was sitting on her behind in front of that horse, barking <laughs> at me. Yeah. Now I don't think that dog could talk, <laughs> <laughs> but it was I, preaching. But that, exactly. <laughs> but I think you know, and and how much reasoning power you can give an animal, I don't know. But the good Lord told that dog to go bark at that horse and get this idiot kid back home because he's got a lot of misadventures left in his life <laughs> and near death experiences coming. Uh, so, but that was she sissy was, Buck and Brent. Yep, she was sitting right there. Uh, barking and i climbed pulled that horse over next to a stump and climbed up on it and we went back to the house <laughs> i'll be darned that's cool that's cool um have i ever told you the full version of the dream buck you have told me uh, that's a story that i will never ever get tired of hearing and i mm-hmm. would appreciate you telling me now okay so i have told you about yes. it i didn't know if i had yeah I'll, I'll give the semi i'll give the condensed version here you've heard the story yeah well and, and a lot of people would have heard the story but they didn't hear the 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 in-depth story so so this is a story that on first lights film nukem which mm-hmm. brent reeves is on yep uh and i'm on yep in in my office right over here, there's a there's a a, a big buck, and it, just briefly I tell in in the film I said I had a dream mm-hmm. that I killed a 24 point buck. Mm-hmm. I drew this picture of the buck, stashed away the picture, and ended up killing the buck, and that's that's what got me in the outdoor industry. Let me just give a little bit more of an expansion of that story, okay? Yeah. So I had uh, I was landscaping. I was uh, I I was uh, I graduated college and I started a landscape company. I started that landscape company for two reasons. It was very clear to me what those reasons were, so that I could raise my young family without a boss telling me where to go and when to be there. Number one, number two, when the leaves turn maroon in the fall, the white oak leaves. Some white oaks turn maroon. They do. Not all of them. Some of them do. When the white oaks turn maroon in the fall. I wanted to be able to hunt, and that's why I wanted to own my own business. Well, my my passion was was hunting, but there was zero zero entry point or way forward to make a living hunting. Nor did I have any false ambitions or dream spasms, as we say, that I could make a living in the outdoor industry. I mean, it just it just wasn't on the radar. I just knew that I loved to hunt. And that this was something that was a priority in my life. Right. Okay. So I was landscaping. Actually, uh, my kids sent me a picture of uh, me landscape uh, doing some stonework yesterday. That was kind of brought back some memories. But it was uh, it was July two thousand and seven, and up until that time, I had never written an article for a publication, though I liked to write. And I was had been in like like when I was in eighth grade, uh, in the middle school I went to, they had a creative writing class that was like a select group of people that were in it. 
Well, I was chosen to be in that class. So that was the only indication in my life that I had an inkling of, you know, creative writing right. flair. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I had submitted only one article to uh, a magazine before that, and that was to Traditional Bowhunter, of which Dwight Shue very politely and very tactfully wrote me a long letter telling me all the reasons why it was not publishable. Mm. Okay. Dwight Shue has since passed away. He's like a legend in the oh, in the absolutely. bow hunting world. Yeah. He was a he was the editor. I, I said traditional bow it wasn't it wasn't traditional bow hunter uh bow hunting magazine. Bow hunter magazine. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um and uh so I hadn't written anything. Well, in July of two thousand seven, I remember it just was it was hot. I remember when I woke up. I remember what the light looked like. It was green, like uh, you know, just in the summer it gets daylight real early, and and we didn't have curtains on the windows, and just uh, I just remember it was just that summer feel. And I woke up and I had had a dream, very specific dream, very vivid dream that I had killed a twenty four point buck with my bow. I. I I don't remember if I counted the points in the dream or if, you know, sometimes in a dream you just know something. But you just knew mm-hmm. it. I remember I killed a 24-point buck with a bow. And I remember that on the recovery, my El Salvadorian worker, who became a very close friend of mine, named, uh, at the time he went, well, I won't say his name. Okay. He was in real life, worked with me, and was my friend. Right. And I remember he was with me on the recovery. And so this El Salvadoranian guy was with me, and we recover this buck, and it's just like, wow. And uh, 24-point buck. And uh, th- that was the extent of the dream. I woke up probably the first uh, – since then, I've had a couple of dreams about hunting. But anyway, it was significant enough that I grabbed a scrap of paper off of the desk there, and I drew a picture of the of the buck that I saw. And – uh the buck had big brow tines, and the buck had kickers, and I drew a picture, and I wrote uh, July 2007, and then I I later came back like a few days late because I you know I just kind of drew it and left it there on the on the you know bed stand right, and a few days later I was like I keep that, and so I wrote in a different ink. I wrote, "Do not throw away Misty," <laughs> because Misty would have just grabbed it up and thrown it away. Mm-hmm. Do not well, throw away comma, Misty, or do not throw away Misty. Well, it actually, there's no comma, so. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, intent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, anyway, I stash it away, and I forget about this. Forget about this. Um, and uh, on August 28th, 2007, I was in my kitchen, and I saw a flash of, uh, no, no, no. Yep, August 2008. I I have a I had a food plot in my backyard up here about a two about a half acre not half acre quarter acre food plot in clover and I saw some deer up there. And I pretty much live we don't live way out in the country, uh, but it's not like super rural. We don't have a lot of land. And uh, anyway, saw some deer. Started looking at these deer, and I see the biggest non typical whitetail I have ever seen in my life feeding mm-hmm. in full velvet in that food plot. And I had a vhs camera you know actual tape right and i video this buck and i've got that video today and it is not the buck that i killed really i filmed this buck and i'm just like holy smokes it's that buck right there really that that is the buck that i filmed we called him well i can't say the name of the buck because it'll give away his location 
Yeah, that <laughs> buck right there. That was one that you. That failed. is the one that I filmed. Okay, that buck. I never saw him again because he ended up getting hit on the road, and that's why I have his rack. Yeah. I picked up that rack uh, a year and a half later, and he was he had clearly died in velvet because those horns are still really sharp. Well, when I see this huge buck, I go to looking for. I go every evening. This was even before I was using trail cameras, and so every evening I'm watching with binoculars out the back window for this buck. Mm-hmm. And on September the 10th or 11th, I can't remember, I see a huge buck in the food plot, and I think it's that buck. And I go look at it, and it is not that buck, in fact, but it is another big, non-typical buck. And he has a big chunk of velvet hanging off his horn, swinging. I video it. I have both of these videos. We can watch them today. They're on my computer. And I film this buck, and he is just a beast, and I cannot believe it. I've got two giant bucks in my backyard. And uh, anyway, I pretty much decide that I'm going to dedicate my season to hunting these bucks in my backyard. And at the time, people weren't doing that that much. It was just starting to be the trend of this suburban hunting. Like, really. Like, it was not a thing back then. Anymore, now people know that the biggest bucks in the country are probably in the city limits. Yeah, living downtown. Yeah. Well, we didn't, you know, that wasn't as common. So I decided I was going to dedicate my whole season, and this is where I'll condense the story. Basically, I could hunt in the mornings, uh, and for 15 straight days, it wasn't technically 15 straight days, because three days I went down and hunted with my dad. Excluding those three days I hunted with my dad, I hunted for 15 straight mornings, and I had a regiment that I went through for scent, and for uh, at the time, I was doing a ton of scent control stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and perhaps in in that closed of an environment, that scent control stuff was helpful. But I left my clothes on the porch. I was chewing scent free gum. I was taking chlorophyll tablets. I was like like spraying down. I was just doing every possible thing for scent because I knew mm-hmm. I was going to have to hunt this food plot over and over and over and over and over. And I did all those things. And uh, I I was in the stand no less than one solid hour before shooting light for 15 days. It was a grind. Mm-hmm. Never saw the buck. Never saw the buck. Saw a few deer, few deer, few deer here and there, here and there, here and there. Finally, on October 18th, I woke up, and it was a balmy, balmy October 18th. It was warm and windy, just the kind of day you're just like, ah. I'll wait till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. This is not a good day to hunt deer. But just because of the what I'd set my mind to do, I did it. I got got out, went up there. My stand is still in the tree. It's not functional because the the lock on stand, as the tree has grown, is now folded up like no. the you know how like platform. Yeah, mm-hmm. the platform is now sticking up about like this. But I could take you to that stand, yeah. and it is no less than about twenty eight feet up in a tree. Oh my god, mm. way up in the tree. Mm. And uh, that morning. At daylight, there were no deer around. Deer movement was slow, and so I decided that I'd take out my rattle bag and rattle. So I clacked the horns together, clickety-clack, clickety-clack, and uh, didn't think much about it, didn't think much could hear me. Well, directly I hear a twig snap way up about 50 yards on the hill from me, and I see the flash of antler. And I go to looking at it, and I immediately recognize it as the second buck, not the first one, the second buck that I'd seen. He begins to parallel the food plot. 
And at 23 yards, I come to full draw, and he walks through an opening, and I try to grunt stop him, and he won't stop, and he just walks straight out of sight. Mm. I grunt after he's totally gone. I bah, bah, grunt a time or two and just stay glued on the direction that he had left. Well, 10 minutes later, I see a deer coming from that direction, and sure enough, it's him. He's walking on the same trail, just like he's – he heard the rattling, came down, looked in the food plot, didn't, didn't see, see anything, anything. Yeah. and then just was like, I don't know what – he just went on a walkabout. Well, I don't know if he heard the grunt and came back in because of the grunt or what happened, but here he comes back. And it looks like he's just going to go the same route he did before and turn up and go back into where he was bedding up higher on this hill. So when he gets to that shooting lane, rather than stopping or doing anything, he turns and comes just like he's going to come right down in the food plot. He gets to about 14 yards, and he's standing on a big old slab of limestone. I mean, like a there's – a, there's, it's bluffy back there. I remember he was standing on a slab of limestone, and he's slightly quartering to me, but not bad. I mean, he's broadside, effectively. And I was at full draw using the Matthews Z-Max and torched it off and – hit him right where I was aiming. <laughs> and when he spun, he slipped on that piece of limestone and his hooves left a white mark across that limestone. Really? Like, when skid he's, mark. like a skid mark. Yeah. And he hit the ground and he jumped back up and took off. And uh, long story short, we waited about four hours. We waited longer than we needed to. The It, it was a little bit far back to shot, just a touch. And uh, we got my father-in-law and uh, my son, Bear, who had just probably not long after he had called in that doe deer because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he was a little boy. He was two or three at the time. And uh, we went up and recovered that deer, and I go to counting those points. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 24 points. Now. Had you thought about? No. No. I, I mean, it didn't occur to me. Until I looked back at the paper, uh, you know, just like at some point I was like, I, I drew a picture of that deer <laughs> and I went and, and, and found the picture. I don't remember how long it was, but there was that span. And, and, uh, I will tell you this Boone and Crockett counts that deer as having 21 scorable points, but there are 24 points that you can hang a ring on. So I'm a Boone and Crockett official measure, so I don't want to contradict the Boone and Crockett system, but I'm saying maybe they should consider the old if you can hang, hang a, a ring, ring on it. it. There yeah. you go. Because <laughs> the source of that dream, which I think came from a higher dimension than this dimension we currently live in, right. considers that buck a 24-point buck. <laughs> yeah. you with me? I'm with you, yeah. brother. And so 100%. anyway, I kill that buck and Brent, that buck scores 169 inches gross. Really? Has 24 points. And I uh, got a big old leaning brow tine and just a, I mean, I'll, I'll never kill another deer like that in Arkansas in my life. I've never seen one like that. I'm sitting here looking at him right now mm-hmm. and I've never seen one like that. It's just a wild looking deer. The one, that left beam looks like coral to me. Yeah. Reminds me of coral. Yeah. Yeah. Really unique deer. Yeah. Well, and so how that, and I'll end with this right here, is that I had three articles published about that deer. One in North American Whitetail, one in Bowhunter, and one in Arkansas Sportsman. And they, and they weren't about, you know, the deer wasn't like a Boone and Crockett deer. 
but they were but they were all stories about suburban hunting. Ah, uh, yeah. yep. And uh, and so uh, yeah, it, it it was in the 2008 October issue of Bow Hunter, I think, is when the first one came out, and and that was just a story about the hunt. But then the North American whitetail stuff was uh, was about suburban hunting, and I talked about how uh, rattling and calling is super effective with unhunted deer. Sure. Because they've never heard it. I mean, right. that deer. Other than coming from deer. They, yeah. They've never had deer people, you know, hunters calling at them. Right. And that deer responded like a, on a string to a rattle right, on October to. 18th. Yeah, that's good. And uh, But anyway, that was the entry point for me getting in the outdoor industry. I mean, really, yeah. that was the genesis point. And now, you know, 13 years later, you know, full-time I'm in writing and stuff. And so now I, I have no doubt that. God was involved in that, and and you know, just I don't. I think it's uh, I think it's cool stuff when oh yeah when you when you when you far beyond what human rational thought could do, mm-hmm. guided by something like that. And uh, so anyway, that's my story. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, man, sure. we've been rolling here for a while. Uh, if you got any, if you got a burning story. Or are you good? I've got a million. We, we need you to do st- have a million. We we'll need to do it again. Well, be thinking we'll do another one of these. But uh, yeah, Colby, thoughts? Oh, this is good. This is good. I could listen to these stories all day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I need to go on a longer trip with Brent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> me, you don't, get to, you don't get to talk much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, thanks a ton Brent thanks for coming hey you can follow uh, Brent Reeves at Brent Instagram is Brent underscore Reeves and Reeves is spelled R-E-A-V-E-S anybody can be a double E Reeves but only us special ones can be an E-A (laughs) yep yep there's a story but I got a story about that I'll save it for a later time (laughs) save it for later but it's true my dad told me <laughs> so it's got to be true. It's got to be true. Got to be true. All right. Well, uh, I'm looking for uh, Ken from Oklahoma uh, to write in about his horse, Ken's reward. Ken's reward. You yeah. got. You got. You got a. And, you got a reward uh, waiting on you, Ken. Hey, if somebody will send me a picture that they took of the what's the name of the launch boat launch? The Lloyd Wilton. Buddy Reeves, Mount Elby, Celine River Access. If somebody other than a Reeves with an A (laughs) will send me a picture of that boat ramp launch that they took, you can't like go online and find it. That Mm -hmm. will sniff you out. Yep, you gotta put your face. I know. I know what all. I know all the videos or all the photographs Mm -hmm. are online. Then uh, we'll give you a year subscription to Barony Magazine. If 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 it's done within two weeks of this podcast Mm -hmm. release, so if you listen to this like three years from. You know, yeah. May 2020, like, we can't honor this. Yeah. But if, if in two weeks of the release of this podcast, submit it to us, Instagram, yeah. it will, we'll give you a year subscription. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah, That's gotta, wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. It's got to be Reeves approved. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks a ton, Brent. Thanks, Colby. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. Keep the wild places wild, because that's where the bears live. All right.
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.